This morning we're going to continue in our service, uh, in our series in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It's going to be on the screen behind me. You can also look around you, probably find a Bible somewhere near you or underneath. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take that one. Just have it. This is uh, Mark chapter 10. Verses 13 through 31. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was sitting out on his, setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that it's before us, that it's uh, right in front of our eyes, it's presented to us. But God, we pray for your help. Help us to hear and to understand. Not that our minds alone would understand, but that our hearts would understand what it is Jesus is trying to teach us. Help us to be willing, participating students. Would you help me, God, to faithfully speak those words in the spirit of Jesus, to the praise of Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at these two stories that uh, are talking to us, presenting to us who it is can come into the kingdom and be a disciple. Remember, discipleship is a central theme and issue in the Gospel of Mark, and there is a series of stories here 
and to come that will make clear to us what the nature of discipleship is and, and who can become a disciple and at what, what cost. So the first story is really brief and, and maybe, maybe relatively famous that the people, we don't know who, who, whoever is some of the folks that are following Jesus, they want Jesus to touch and bless their children, probably to put his hands on their head and to bless them because he's a rabbi and that's a thing that people want rabbis to do. And the disciples are annoyed and they're like, get these kids out of here. We, we do not have time for this. They're annoyed at their presence and Jesus then becomes annoyed at them. The, the Gospel of Mark uses this word indignant. It is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus is described as becoming indignant like this. It means strongly annoyed and tipping into anger. He is really, really offended by the disciples being offended at the presence of the children. And he says the opposite of what they are inclined to do and the opposite of what they've said. He says to them, let the children come to me. And he then doesn't just say, hey, I like kids. He also says, and in fact, the kingdom of God is given to people like this. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And this is especially... If you are been to our church a time or two, this is a pretty formative story for us and the way that we approach things. If you've never been here, in a few minutes, there's going to be a lot of kids in here. And I will just tell you, it will not be quiet. It will be noisy because they're children, and that's what children do. We, we take the words that Jesus says here seriously that Jesus really means, not metaphorically, but literally and truly, let the children come to me. And we, we don't mean when we say that kids can do whatever they want. Uh, if you don't have children and, you, and if you've hung around our church long enough, you may feel like that's what we think that Jesus means. But that's not the case. We're not saying just let kids do whatever, whatever they want. We are saying, though, that children should... Be, be made to feel welcome because Jesus truly does welcome children. And we are far more inclined as adults to be like these disciples who are annoyed by the same sort of things. And so that when we are challenged by their presence, we are probably re-experiencing this conflict that the disciples themselves are feeling like get... Let me just have some quiet time with Jesus. Let me hear what he is saying. Get these kids out of the way. And look, there, you will never, ever hear me say there's not a place for quiet and silence. I am as pro-quiet and silence as anybody I have ever met. And my family can verify that. I value quiet and silence just like the disciples do. But Jesus illuminates the nature of the kingdom and says that when you welcome children in, there is a good kind, a healthy kind, a divine kind of disruption that happens at their presence that we should all be prepared to be discomforted by. When, when they do that 
for us, not to us, for us. There are things in us adults that are illuminated and exposed about us. We, we are people inclined to be addicted to the semblance and feeling of control. We are people who are inclined to be addicted to the semblance of respectability. We are people who generally take ourselves far too seriously. And the presence of children starts to eat away at that. And you can be a part of that. You can participate in that. You can welcome that as Jesus welcomes. Or you can be like the disciples and be like, get those kids out of here. Now, I am certainly all for teaching children how to grow up into being an adult who can actually sit in a chair in church and not light something on fire. That, that is a good goal. But it is a process that we all engage in together, extending our, our hands in welcome to people that make us feel uncomfortable. This is also part of why we love to baptize babies. Now, I, there's, I know there's Baptists in the room, and I love you, and I welcome you. I'm not telling you you have to baptize your babies, okay? Nobody's going to steal your baby and baptize them right, right underneath you. Do what you want. Jesus says that they are blessed in the kingdom. And we take him seriously. And therefore give them the sign of the kingdom. It doesn't make sense to us to hear Jesus say they are blessed in the kingdom. And then say they cannot be marked for the kingdom. So we treat them like citizens of the kingdom. And, and we trust and we pray and we walk with them until they look more and more and more like citizens of the kingdom. But there's plenty of people who come to our church and do not understand why we take tiny babies who can make no profession of faith, dump water on them, and say that they are baptized. This is why. Because of things like this. Because Jesus evidentially loves people like this in his kingdom. And we take him seriously on that front. Now, it's not the only reason why we baptize babies, but I'm not going to spend any more time on baptizing babies. By the way, if you have a baby that you would like baptized, please come talk to me. We have these children who are standing seemingly kind of at the doorway of the kingdom, and Jesus says that they're welcome. And then we have this young man. There's this, this story is told in, in three of the Gospels, and so we've just sort of pieced together various descriptors, and we call him the rich young ruler. It's not how Mark refers to him, but that's how we refer to this person across the three Gospels. And he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Which is an interesting question. People are not always coming to Jesus and asking for this particular thing. People are really coming to hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and what that means because he keeps saying it, it's at hand. But he's actually looking for this idea of eternal life that is somehow in the future. And Jesus takes him seriously and describes to him the commandments. Interestingly, describing all of the second half 
of the Ten Commandments and, and adding one that's not in the Ten Commandments about defrauding. And he lists these as a representative of the law. You should follow the law so that you can receive eternal life. And the rich young ruler takes it all quite seriously and says, I do that. I do those things. And we who have heard Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the, on the Mount are inclined probably to laugh at him. Like, come on, dude. You've got you to know what Jesus says about this stuff. There's no way you've been following the law. But Jesus doesn't laugh at him. He takes him seriously. He doesn't think the young man is, is lying. Jesus, in fact, loves him. We, we don't often get pictures of Jesus' internal experience like that. This is one of the instances in the gospel where Mark will fill in this detail. Jesus loves this young man. And then he exposes him. And he says, great. Sell everything. Give it all away. And come follow me. And we never hear any word more from the young ruler. Because he's just sad. He can't. Jesus has put his finger on the thing. The thing that he can't give up. And he walks away. To our knowledge, never answering the call to follow Jesus. And the disciples hear Jesus say this thing. That it's really difficult for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they are blown away. They're shocked. Because they have done what many of us do. They, they have seen a few verses in the Old Testament where it talks about the blessing that God might provide, both prayers for blessing and the promise of blessing, including material provision of wealth. And so they have worked backwards from that promise and said, okay, if, if and when we see a wealthy person, it is a person who then is favored and blessed by God. Just assuming that when there is wealth, there is favor, God's approval. And it doesn't work that way. You can look at people who are wealthy and understand that God has provided for them a, a blessing. But you can't look at their wealth and then say that God, therefore, this must be a, a person who is better. This is a person who is deserving. This is a person who is good and true and, and commendable. Now, in, in our day and time, this seems obvious because we have lots of examples of wealthy people being awful people. This, there's no like tabloids or internet presence here. The, the examples are not manifold for the people. They, they know of terrible wealthy people, but the assumption is generally like, this is a guy who follows the law, and he's wealthy. God has favored him, and his wealth is a gift from God. If anybody can get into the kingdom, if anybody can get into eternal life, it's this guy. And Jesus says, it's really difficult for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom. And they say, who, who can enter? How, how can anybody come in? And Jesus reinforces what he says. He, he says, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye 
of a needle. Now, I, at some point in my youth, somebody tried to explain to me that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. That's not true. When Jesus says there is a camel trying to fit into the eye of a needle, he means a camel and a needle, and it's impossible to go through. That's the point of the metaphor. Jesus says it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter into eternal life. And, and this is incredibly challenging, especially it should challenge us, because we live in the United States, the, the wealthiest place in the history of humanity. Our standards of what poverty is, is wealth in most of the world. And our standards of middle class is off the charts in most of the world. In general, we are profoundly wealthy people with the apparent access to more wealth right at our fingertips. It's sort of what fuels the American dream, is the ability to readily ask, access more wealth if you just, whatever, work hard enough, you're smart enough, all, all the other things, knowing the right people, whatever. And we can easily get caught into the narrative and the, the dream life of the American world. We, we can easily slip into the story of America, into the story of the West, and just have an uncomplicated, unadulterated view of wealth. That of course, wealth is what you should pursue, and there is nothing dangerous at all about wealth. Wealth is comfortable for us. We grow comfortable in wealth. And when Jesus says that wealth is actually spiritually dangerous, we find ways to read around that and say, well, he does not, obviously, obviously he doesn't mean that. It seems like he means that, though. He actually does mean that wealth is a challenge for people. It doesn't mean that wealth means you're definitely going to hell or something like that. That's not what Jesus says. But you should also take seriously what he does say. That, that it can happen to you what has happened to this rich young ruler. That you can be a good and virtuous person. You can have the, the veneer of religious respectability even. And wealth will sneak in to the, to the core of your heart. And steal away your allegiance. Because you are profoundly comfortable. And you don't need anybody. You just have your own bank account. Which you can always rely upon. Without anybody telling you to do otherwise. That is a profoundly dangerous place to be. And you should treat your wealth... As if Jesus is right and as if he speaks the truth about wealth. There, there's lots of wealthy people in the New Testament. Good wealthy people. The New Testament church is fueled, sheltered, sent by wealthy people. They're great. It's, 
it is possible to have wealth and, and for you to use it rather than it to use you. But it, you better do it on purpose. You're not going to incidentally, you're not going to accidentally, you're not going to flow downstream with wealth and assume that it will take you to good places. Jesus says you ought to watch out. It will make it difficult for you to do exactly what it was difficult for this young man to do, which is to hear the voice of the king say, give it all up, just let it go. If the, if the time comes to choose me or your wealth, choose me. It will be more difficult for you. If you have lots of means, you have in front of you a spiritual challenge. It doesn't mean you can't overcome it, but you also better have your eyes open. This is why Christians have insisted that following Jesus has financial ramifications. And this is not me now asking you to give more money to this church. I'm asking you to take seriously what Jesus said and be prepared to develop a habit of generosity. When you give away some of that wealth, you are offloading some of that spiritual danger by, by developing and reinforcing a habit of detachment from your wealth. You are saying in your giving, this does not dominate and control me. This will not be the thing that burdens me and restricts me from following Jesus. And of course, this mentality sneaks in for people who also are not wealthy. This is the sneaky thing. Is that you can be somebody who is like, I am definitely not wealthy. Certainly by this country's standards and by many others, I am not wealthy. I don't know how I'm going to pay all of my bills in this season of my life. And you can easily slip into the same mirrored mentality of the rich young ruler because you think that your life revolves around your finances. That because I do not have... I am cursed. And if I would just have, then I would be better. That's not, that is not the full picture that is available to you. Just because you do not have does not mean you are rejected by God. In fact, who does Jesus pronounce his loyalty and presence to over and over and over and over again in the Gospels? The poor disadvantaged, the powerless, the overlooked, the weak. So if you have begun to think that just because your checking account has very few numbers in it, that God has abandoned you, you have bought the same lie as the rich man. God is with you. And in fact, seems to be on your side. Don't miss the truth of who Jesus is because of your lack of wealth. The disciples say, man, it's a good thing we've given it all away, right? Which is pretty good. We gave it all away, Jesus. 
And Jesus, he's not presenting a view of discipleship that is a life of misery. He's not telling them, like, you're right, just suffer. You're just going to suffer until there's more suffering. What he says to them, in essence, and what he will say in his parables is, you've made a wise investment. What you've given away will be returned to you a hundredfold. God is not going to be stingy with you. Whether you are giving away $5 or you're giving away $50,000 or $500,000 or $5 million, whether you're giving away one friend or the only family you have or whatever it is to follow Jesus in a particular way of life that he has called you to, he will not be stingy to you. It may not look like wealth in his list of things that get returned to you, like how he just snuck in and persecutions. Friends, family, land, persecution. He's going to tell you the truth. Following Jesus in this life is both glorious. It puts you in contact with new kinds of family and new kinds of provision and wealth and life together and persecution. That life will also be rocky at times. But in the life to come, along the long stretch of both now and the life to come, God will not be stingy with you. You are making a wise investment of your life, your resources, your relationships. God is the one that if you met him in the field, you would sell everything you have to buy the field, as he told in his parable. If you were a merchant walking in the marketplace, the kingdom of God really is like you should sell your house, all your possessions to buy that one pearl because the pearl is worth everything more than everything that you just sold. That's what the nature of the kingdom of God is. It's a good deal. And he will be good to you. The rich young ruler has not retained. He has lost. He's, he's been bound by a short-term investment and failed to receive the riches that are available in Jesus. In here, the disciples say to Jesus, what you are meant to feel. They say, Jesus... This is impossible. If, if not even the apparent blessed ones have everything going right together, if not even they can come in, this is impossible. And Jesus seems at that moment to say, you get it. You're right. And with God, nothing is impossible. Which is exactly what children understand. Children understand their limitations and are more free with their limitations than any of us. In fact, that's part of what can be so annoying about being with children. My, my daughter, the smallest in my household, wants me to do so many things for her and she just asks me all the time. She just asks. And if, if they're even younger, they don't even ask. They just scream. They just scream at you. I need you. I want this. I need this. I cannot do it. Do this for me. And yet, 
how many of us cannot utter these words? I need help. I hate those words. I can, I can be struggling. You know, we have these very long tables that we set out for things. They weigh like a thousand pounds. And I can be struggling to carry one of them by myself from that building to the next, sweating, about to pull my back out. And somebody can say, can I help you? I'm be like, no, I got it. <laughs> that is just my instinct. No, I don't need help. That is your instinct before God. I don't need help. And this is ultimately what I think Jesus is getting at, at the power, the destructive, corrosive power of wealth. Is it, is it stops you. It deludes you into thinking, I don't need help. And Jesus is pointing at the children to say, they will tell you the truth. You need help. When you finally arrive at the place when you are standing before God and saying, this is impossible. I cannot get in here. I cannot do everything that I should do. All the things that I should love, I do not love. The things that I should not love, those are the things that I actually do love. I can't do this. I can't get from here to there. And when you can finally understand that that is actually your true state before God, then you are ready for the kingdom. Then you have finally started to become more like the smallest people in our midst. We invite children into the middle of who we are every week because you and I need to be looking at these people who are out of control, totally dependent, causing havoc for their parents and everybody else with vaguely within their reach. And you and I need to look at them and understand, that is me. That's me. I can fake it better than them, but that's me. I deeply need. And we are meant to be a community marked and defined by that need. If you come to church and this is the place where you hide the most, things are going wrong. In your relationships with other Christians, you and I should be cultivating the habit of saying to one another, I am deeply in need. I am so confused, tired, in sin, messed up, out of control right now. It feels impossible to me. And far too many people come into places like this and they feel like this is where I better put on the veneer, the mask, as much as possible, more than anywhere in my life, that everything is fine. You are not fine. You are not fine. And if you feel like you are, it is my job to tell you, you are wrong. You are not fine. You will never get past your need for God. You will never be okay. Your growth in maturity is never going to lead you to be able to stand in the kitchen of God's house and say, you know what, I can get the cup of water myself. I've grown up, I can do this now. You will never be able to reach. You will always need his help. And when you understand what is your right and true position before God, that of eternal and forever need... Make sure you pay attention to Jesus' response to the children. 
He doesn't put his hands on them like the people asked him. He scooped them into his arms. He held them close. And then he pronounces blessing on them. God is not repelled by your confession that this is impossible. Jesus is attracted to you. When you are confessing before him and to other people, I am so in need of God. This feels impossible to me. Jesus does not back away from you and say, get your act together and then I will come and deal with you. Jesus says, you get it. And he scoops you up and he clutches you close. And with God, all things are possible. You could be here today and if you have come here under your own strength and your own power, and you are well in control of your life, you are maybe hearing this call to re-examine the state of things. And if you are recognizing that you have lived for a long time under your own strength and power and direction, Jesus is calling you to a different kind of life. Your wealth, your moral uprightness, your popularity, your job security, your social status, whatever it has been that you have used to make yourself feel like you are fine, that is passing away and it is far short of what God would offer you. And today, you need to let it go. I don't know what that looks like for you, but what it starts with is a confession today I don't want those things to be the things that anchor and shelter me in my life. I instead want to come in to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And if you feel like that's impossible because it's so scary to leave those other things behind, you have experienced what every disciple of Jesus has ever experienced. It's okay. And if you would just look at him and say, I don't know if I can, but I want to. You are perfect for him. You fit the qualifications of being one of his disciples. And with God, nothing is impossible and will not be impossible for you. And if you're a Christian here today, you have to acknowledge that you slip into the patterns of being not a disciple easily, often, frequently. And if that is you today... The recipe for you and for me is the same. If you realize you have slipped into a life under your own direction and control, comforting yourself with your own whatever, power, privilege, wealth, security, popularity, whatever it might be, if you've actually started pursuing those things more than you've pursued, pursued the voice of Jesus, today Jesus will still be good to you. So you, you and I who are Christians are inclined to think that Jesus is like the disciples. Oh, you're so annoying. Stop. Stop doing that. Stop. I mean, just when you stop and I can have my peace and you just sort of stand there like a nice adult, then I will deal with you and bring you close. But Jesus is still this Jesus. 
And if you are one of the ones who have time and time and time and time again both received from him and frittered away what he has given you, he will scoop you in his arms and tell you the truth. There is nothing that is impossible with God. And in him there is for you everything that you feel like you've lost. No matter the depths of your sin, the darkness of your own heart, it is for you that Jesus has come. Today, I cannot tell you to fix anything with your behaviors, not even the giving away of your wealth. I can't fix you with any of those things. It won't work for me. It's never worked for anybody. All I have for you and for me for the rest of our lives together is Jesus. That's it. All there is is Jesus. And there is so much in Jesus. There's more than enough. Now and forever. For me and for you. All there is is Jesus. And that is the greatest gift. That will bring you home. It'll bring you home forever. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your mercy and kindness. I thank you that this is the kind of thing you like to do. You're the, you like people like me, like us. I can be so hard-hearted and impatient, so self-reliant. I'm sorry. covet wealth, covet power, prestige. I covet security. I covet standing on my own two feet. And I'm sorry. God, I pray for all of us, wherever we might be on the spectrum of following you. I pray that today we'd see more clearly than ever you're the best. There's nothing that we could give up that would be comparable to you. And God, I pray that you would help us to be honest with you and with others about our need for you. I need you. We need you. Forever. We need you. And you won't hold back. That is the wealth of heaven the wealth of the kingdom that delivered over to us. Thank you. Let us live our lives with and for you, Jesus. We want to be your disciples. And in you, all things are possible. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.